The Ebony's in the Ivory podcast is a bi-weekly dialogue with Dr. Dejalon Jackson-Bell and Dr. Lakeitha Poole. Through the EITI podcast, we plan to promote our mission of dispelling myths, rewriting narratives, and championing women of color in higher education. All views expressed through this podcast are our own, do not represent any entity with which we are affiliated, and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit our website at www.ebonysintheivory.com. You are now tuned in to Ebony's in the Ivory. Everybody. We just want to thank you all for tuning in as we discuss episode 23. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy that we're on episode 23, Dr. Bull. I know, it's kind of wild, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all for coming along on this journey with us. Please make sure that you subscribe to all of our social media platforms. Because <laughs> that's how many we have, yes. yes that's how many we have. You can subscribe to SoundCloud and Apple Podcast, and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Ebony's in the Ivory. And you can also follow us on Twitter at Ebs in the Ivory. Also, please check out our website. We have a lot of amazing content. You can get caught up, and there is a mobile version, so there's no excuse. Um, our website is www.ebony'sintheivory.com. So, this week we're going to be talking about making our name great. So, you can take it away, Dr. Poole. Yes. So, like Dr. Bell said, it's episode 23, um, and we have dedicated this episode to um, the whole idea of being able to think about conference proposal submissions, um, article submissions, research opportunities. And um, so, if you read the blog last week, um, or really two weeks ago, by the time y'all hear this, um, then you kind of know a little bit about what we're going to talk about. But of course, we always have to give you the real time experience of this topic um, and our lived experience of this topic, because we were just talking about it, that it's a struggle sometimes. And so, um, so we always want to give you that perspective. So like Dr. Bell said, the title of this month's episode is Making Your Name Great. And I'll talk a little bit about that phrase and what it means to me a little bit. Um, and specifically, we're talking about conference proposals and research opportunities. So um, in the blog, we talked about the fact that it's a super vulnerable experience, especially in the doctoral process or really in graduate school at both levels um, to kind of figure out where you fit into the whole research world and try to come up with like new ideas. And the whole purpose is you're supposed to be contributing to your field. And that adds a lot of pressure um, and a lot of times I remember 
we had experiences in our master's program and at the doctoral level to like connect with some of our professors and um, get to either like co-author things with them or co-present with them. Um, and then even do like book chapters and be contributors to things that they were working on. And while it like feels like a huge honor, it's a lot of pressure to feel like that. Um, even after writing a dissertation, you're still like, Oh my gosh, are they going to want this in their book? Or, um, would they want to still present with me on this topic? And so, um, I enjoyed though the fact that we had a great, um, master's level experience where we had professors who were like well known in their areas of expertise who gave us opportunities to do that so that we almost like, didn't want to screw up and we got practice, you know, cause I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's one thing to like, if you're a writer to like formulate your ideas, get them written down, have them be like pristine documents for people to read. It's another thing to then have to take that document and turn it into a presentation that you have to present in front of a hundred people. And so, um, I'm just, I was very grateful that we got those experiences. Cause I do know that some people don't get that particularly at that level so that by the time when we got into our doctoral process, um, presenting and those sort of things were always pretty easy for us. Um, but sometimes it's not easy. And I think that's the other side of it. And the vulnerable part of it is being able to understand that, like, sometimes you get rejection emails. I still get rejection emails and I roll my eyes and I close the email and I start over. Um, or I figure out what's the next conference or journal or whatever. And so, and to know that it's okay, it's not necessarily a direct reflection on like my writing or my idea, but that maybe what I presented isn't a good fit for that particular conference or for that particular, um, journal. And so I think over time, if you gain experience, you sort of understand that like continuing to put yourself out there is always worth it. Um, because you get that experience, but also it's a, a great, developmental process for you because then you learn how to craft um, your writing style and craft your creativity to fit what's needed for wherever you're trying to like submit something. And so um, I really just like kind of that challenge. And I, I thought that would be a good topic for us to talk about because Again, we still, I still take L's when, when I get a rejection email and, and it's all good and, you know, you move on. And so just being able to like get into that creative mode for me is always fun. Um, so with the, the make your name great part, um, I have to give a shout out actually to my mom for that because it's like to this day, still her phrase for me, whenever I'm telling her about something I have in the works or if Dr. Bell and I are about to like present something when we were going to like all these conferences to kind of put Ebony's in the ivory out there. Um, her phrase to me always, um, is make your name great. And it's this idea of being able to understand that like at, at the end of the day, all you have is your name, you know, and who you've built that name up to be. Um, and so I love that she reminds me of that, especially when I get like a rejection email or something, because it reminds me that, you know, at the end of the day, that's not a reflection of me as a person. Um, it's just that, you know, my work didn't fit there. And so when you are going through your doctoral experience or even post that experience and you are trying to build a name for yourself and build your resume and all these things, um, it really is about where you are aligning, like the things that you are called to do uh, with your passions and with opportunity. And like, 
I mean, you only have really control over the thing that you're called to do. And sometimes we don't follow that. And that could be a whole other podcast episode. But I think, (laughs) right. (laughs) But I think if you do um, follow it and you are passionate, that's always going to shine through. So wherever you're supposed to fit in, so whatever conference that's supposed to be or whatever journal or whatever, you know, book proposal opportunity, whatever it is, it will find you um, because it's tied to your name. It's who you are. And so, um, so shout out to mama for that, for just being able to be, uh, an inspiration without even knowing it. So shout out to her. And I know she'll hear this later because she listens to every episode. (laughs) Hey girl. Um, so Dr. Bell, let's talk about our experiences a little bit and maybe some of the lessons that we've like picked up along the way and, um, some of those things. So I have a few things for sure that I know I've picked up, but obviously I want you to share if there's more in addition to these to do that. Um, so the first is, I think probably the most obvious tip that I have learned is write and present about what you already know and what you love. Um, you know, if you're intentional about the message that you have, like your line of thinking and the information that you want to share with the world, you almost become sort of unstoppable because most people won't know as much about you, about that topic as you do. And so it's going to be so much easier when you're like us sometimes and crunching on a deadline (laughs) and you need to knock it out to write about something that, you know, you already know, like seminal works and you already know, like some of the names of people that you need to throw into the mix to make sure um, that the reviewers know that you know what you're talking about. And so, um, you know, really being focused on writing about something you love or presenting on something you love too. It'll make you a better presenter. You'll be more relaxed. You'll be able to kind of get through, uh, what you need to do to either prepare or in the moment, if it's a longer presentation to be creative and let the juices flow of like what you need to do to keep your audience attention, um, versus if you write about a random topic just so that it gets accepted. Um, I've learned that like, I'm not always a huge fan of when there are like conference themes because sometimes I feel like it stifles my creativity or I have to stretch my idea too much to fit. And if I have to do too much stretching, stretching, then I feel like maybe that's not the article, that's not the journal or that's not the conference to do. So I think in the, in the long run, you end up regretting it because it's going to then end up being like a laborious task if Uh you, you know, are forcing a fit there. Um, Dr. Bell, what do you think about that? Like, writing about what you know, what you love? I think it's really important. Um, I think that, like you were saying, like, if you're not comfortable with the topic, mm-hmm. because presenting and speaking in front of your peers and your colleagues is already, for some people, difficult. You know, mm-hmm. introverts like us, it is. You have to muster up that courage to do so. Um, but it's easier when you're passionate about the subject um, and when you're well-versed. And it's, it's a passion project. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easier to be able to do that versus something that's forced. Like you said, I like what you said about, um, you know, sometimes having to meet the conference thing. Um you have to kind of fit your, your research or your ideas into a box. Um, and I think sometimes that, like you said, stifles the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you are presenting on something that's a passion to you, like let's say your dissertation, when you're in the room with your committee, um, you, you know the most. Right. They have edited and they have given you their opinions, but you are the expert. Um, so when you're able to be the expert, um, it gets much easier mm-hmm. um, for you to be able to 
to disseminate that information. So I think definitely it's important. And if it's important to you, um, I think sometimes I know with myself, like certain areas of research that I'm interested in, mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of research in those areas. So I think that by me being passionate about that, I'm adding, you know, to the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be able to, um, to, you know, to add, um, add to the field and add to the works that are already, if they are being done. So I think it's, it's really important to be able to add on to your body of work mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, that's what I was trying to say. Adding on to <laughs> your body of work um, is, is easier when you're passionate about what you're talking about. Yeah, I agree. Definitely think it makes it so much easier. Um, so another tip that I thought of was making sure that you pay attention to deadlines and that you actually like plan out your submission and, and like your ability, obviously for score conference to actually attend that conference. So a lot of times people think about the short term of like, Ooh, I'm gonna get this submission and not realizing like that conference might be six more months to a year from now. And you don't know what your life is going to look like. And so knowing that when you're submitting, you're committing to that if it gets accepted, because that's, again, that goes back to like your name, you know? And so if you have to pull out for, you know, a reason that not isn't necessarily like an emergency or something like that, um, that particular organization or journal may not accept you again because they feel like you flaked on them. So, you know, just making sure that as you get into the process of, you know, writing regularly, and I know we talked about kind of fighting for the right last time, like last month. And so just being able to make sure too, that you understand that like your ability to be organized as you kind of go through the process of mapping out your journal article submissions or your conference proposal, like give yourself time to make sure you've thoroughly reviewed like what they're asking for, what are the requirements, what are the guidelines and have a plan of when you're going to actually get things done so that you can kind of know what you need to do. In the instance of a conference, go ahead and pre-check your availability, like look up when that conference actually is and then go check your bank account. And, you know, see if you can go ahead and register. Maybe you can't get your plane ticket yet or maybe you're going to drive or whatever, but at least be able to sort of like go ahead and plan for that so that you can be there so you can say yes if the opportunity comes. Um, And so just being able to make sure that you like have that thought through um, and really plan out your submissions in particular with following guidelines and submission requirements, because sometimes just by not following the instructions, you get eliminated. Like they won't even read your stuff if you haven't put it in the right format or if you didn't submit it the, the right way. And so um, I think that that's just important too. I agree. I feel like right now, like in that topic, you are definitely like, you definitely practice what you preach um, because you're a lot more detailed oriented than I am so like when we have to present like Dr. Pooler on top of a child like she's like look we gotta do it's like this the deadline and I'm just like like she she like excels where maybe um I can use a little bit more work um so you know I can get creative but she's way better with the deadlines um so you are right on the money but it is it is um very much so important uh, because we're all busy we all have lives families um significant others and things of that nature and things can kind of slip by mm-hmm. um 
And I think that, you know, getting it down and getting organized for what you can even on the front end, mm-hmm. um, is, is super, super, um, important, um, as far as being successful at, at, um, securing, um, the opportunity to make your name great. So yeah. you're, you're spot on with that, Dr. Poole. Yeah, definitely think that it's, um, an acquired skill. So I don't know that I was always that great about it, but I think, Again, if you're if you're gonna have to balance if you're in school, um, and having to balance when that is, it's gonna be really, really important, um, for you because in between that you might also be uh getting ready for your proposal defense or your dissertation defense. Um, I remember being I didn't have to present, thank goodness, but I remember being at a conference, a national conference for ACA and it was like four days, it ended like four days before my dissertation defense. I should have been at home properly, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was fine, but I, I had committed to it and, um, and it actually worked out because my dissertation chair was at the conference too. So I, I actually like forced him to eat lunch with me before, um, cause I was so nervous. And so, yeah, literally I was like, meet me at the subway. Um, so just being able to kind of like, again, map that out. And, and I knew it. So I knew I had already committed to going to ACA before I had my date for my defense. And that was just what it was because ACA was so many months out. And I did it that way because I had submitted a proposal for ACA that year, but it didn't get accepted. But I was like, well, I'm still going because I also need CEU. So I still did it. Okay. Um, so I think, again, it's it's just about you knowing like, what your plan's going to be, how do you want to map that out, when are the deadlines, so that you can just plan accordingly. And again, it doesn't mean that even though you can put in all that work, um, that it's going to work out, but just being able to kind of have that as a, a option um, really makes a big difference. So um, the last tip that I have um, is to really think about how you receive the feedback that you get. So most of us who are, um, who have PhDs or who are working on them to some degree, we are perfectionists. And so having somebody tell you that your stuff is not good, <laughs> um, is hard. <laughs> Um, and we're laughing because we've been on both sides of that. Like we talk, we've talked on here about our chairs, like ripping our stuff apart and, you know, you going back and being like, dang, I can't write at all. Um, which is not true, but that's how it feels. But then we've also, because both of us have taught, uh, other graduate students and have read papers and have been like, Ooh, this is trash. And so, yeah, Dr. Bell's doing that right now. Um, and so, uh, being able to understand that, like, you need to know how to take note of the feedback, but you can't let it consume you so that you get to the point where then you're afraid to submit again. So, I mean, like, like I said earlier, getting those rejection letters and those emails, they're not fun. Um, but if you can learn how to like craft and master like your writing style to address what's preferred by that journal art, by that journal, I keep saying journal article, by that journal or the organization, um, that becomes actually a great skill set to have where then when it's time for you to crank out 
proposals, it'll be so much easier because you'll have mastered that skill. And oftentimes after one rejection, you can go back to that same organization, that same journal, and usually can get an acceptance because now you've learned what they're looking for. Um, so just the thought that like, no matter what, all feedback is valuable. Um, it makes you better. You need to be able to be receptive so that, um, you can grow. And again, that, that won't change. So I don't care how far removed we get from finishing our degrees. There's always going to be somebody who's going to tell us like, oh, that's not a good fit for us. Or I need you to write this in a different way. Um, and I mean, I just, you can't take it personally. There's too many other things to worry about in life in general, but also to understand that that feedback is because they obviously still see something in what you've submitted, but they, it's not a good fit yet. You haven't crafted it to fit what they're looking for. And so, um, I just think being able to really be intentional about that is important. So, um, Dr. Bell, any other thoughts on the feedback part of it? I think, you know, we've talked about this a, a few times. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Quite yeah. Um, it does. And um, especially like when you have naturally been a quote unquote good writer or mm-hmm. not, but then you have someone, um, a professor or, um, you know, someone in the field or someone working with composers is like, oh, okay. And you reword that. Um, I remember, like I've, I've said this before, when I wrote my book chapter, my first set of, my first round of edits, like the first comment was, this needs a lot of work. <laughs> dagger, like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe she just told me that. Like, what do you mean this needs a lot of work? I wrote it, like, it's perfect APA, like, I use, I use a thesaurus, like, what do you think? <laughs> thesaurus.com I mean but I had to learn like the difference between active and passive voice and how to be more concise how to be um, grammatically correct how to use proper syntax and all of those things and I I tell my students this um, it's an acquired skill yeah you don't come out of undergrad knowing how to write like that Mm -hmm. you just don't um, and, you know, even us, we've written dissertations and conference proposals and book chapters and things like that, and there's still room for improvement for us as well. Absolutely. Um, so I try to remember that when I'm, like, tearing up my students' papers. Um, but it's, 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 it's needed, like, that feedback is so needed, and the older I get, the more I can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see, you know, areas that I need to grow in my writing as well. Yeah. Um, so... But definitely, like you said, we we submitted conference proposals and been denied like year after year after year after year, and it's just like like our running joke is that's okay. Like when we blow up, mm-hmm. y'all gonna wish. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly yeah. Seriously, y'all that's wish that y'all would have <laughs> accepted our conference proposal. Uh-huh. It's a joke first, but seriously, like we know that that's not a reflection on our capabilities. Um, that might just not be what they're looking for at their current time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you have to keep trying. Like, yeah. You have to. Yeah. Um, so, I, I definitely think, like, not taking it personal. Like, I, I, I tell my students all the time, like, I'm not, this is not 
an attack on your intellectual capability. I just mm-hmm. want you to be better because somebody did it to me and they helped me be better. And that's all I want yeah. um, for you. And I don't want, like, if you know I need to work on something, like, y'all be not embarrassed myself. So if you right. teach me how not to embarrass myself, then I'm all for that. Like, whatever is constructive, like, let me know so that I can be better. Because mm-hmm. I don't need anybody Googling my name and, and they see all sorts of mistakes. Um, when they come across, you know, some of my work. So I definitely agree. Feedback is critical. And don't feel criticized. Um, it's, it's just necessary. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very, like, interesting to be able to sort of have that understanding when, you know, you might be working really, really hard on something that you poured a lot into. And, yeah, there's disappointment there. But, um if it's rejected, but I mean, part of it is this idea of like going back again. Um, one of the best pieces of advice that I got probably post, um, PhD mode was actually from, we always shout out his wife, Dr. Shonda Allen Mitchell, but I actually got this little nugget from Dr. Roland Mitchell. So, um, a male, yeah, Dean, Dean Roland Mitchell. Um, And one of the things, so when I finished, I wanted to submit, you know, like an article. So I had to, I think you had to do this at LSU too. Like, I think we, as a part of our submission with our dissertation, we also had to already have crafted an article from our dissertation and submitted it with the final document, um, which is kind of great. I hated it in the time of doing it, but it actually was great because it was already done and it literally was just something I was able to then submit as is to journals or whatever. And so I sent my dissertation off, you know, you feeling real proud. I just got a whole degree for this thing. It's awesome. And then I submitted it and I picked a journal because I just, again, still was green and learning and was like, Oh, my dissertation is about college students. I'm going to submit it to this particular article. Cause it's, it's about college students. Um, and I submitted it and they were like, no, thank you. You know, like, <laughs> um, and then it wasn't that blunt. They actually gave me great feedback. They asked about some of the things that I had cut out because of trying to meet the page limit for my submission for school. I cut out some things from my actual research that they were like actually curious about. And so then the idea meant that I was going to have to rework this article, which at that time, I think I was had hit burnout from just doing the degree that I just was like, over it. And so, um, but I didn't take it as like, oh my gosh, my dissertation is a complete waste of time. That would, I would never have the thought after how long and hard we worked on them. But I remember telling that, I don't know why I was telling that to Dr. Mitchell, to Dean Mitchell. Um, and he was just like, well, what if you just don't change anything and just pick a new, a new journal and send it? Cause what if they just say yes off top? And I was like, hmm genius this is why he's a dean and so 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 um i think just being able then to make sure again that you like recognize that it is not about your skill it is not about like dr bell said your intellectual like capacity or abilities whatsoever it is definitely just about fit and if you can keep that in mind as you are submitting journal articles conference presentations book chapters whatever um you will never sort of feel disappointed when that letter comes. Your first thought will just be like, well, guess it's not a good fit. So that's usually 
my response. And that's why, like, Dr. Bell and I, like she said, we joke about it. And we're just like, well, you don't want it. Somebody else will, you know, and that's just kind of how it is. And that is no, no shade. It might be a little shade to some people, but yeah, but not on purpose. It's really about us knowing that, you know, we know we submitted something of good quality, of great quality, um, but it just may not be the fit for that particular year. So again, going with Dr. Uh, Mitchell's like motto is like, well, just submit it again and see what happens. Cause right. it may already be a good fit for somebody else, just not where you originally went. So, um, just definitely be open to the feedback cause it, it makes like, you better. Yeah. I've heard my professors say like, even like tenured professors be like, oh, you know, I submitted this article and they gave mm-hmm. me this feedback. So like they're teaching others how to write. They have articles, they have books, and then they're getting mm-hmm. edits from the editor and things of that nature. That's so right. no one is above it. Um, and it's, we always talk about how um, it's a very grinding style. Mm-hmm. And like, don't even get me started on the way that higher education and how that was not made for people of color. Right. Not sometimes, or always, whatever, um, culturally <laughs> responsive mm-hmm. or responsible sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely an adjustment. So um, when you talk about not being, you know, having to meet a certain, uh, meet certain criteria or to be able to fit um, that, to be able to fit what they're looking for, you have to change your writing style um, to fit. And you're going to have to do that for your dissertation. Like we said before, we hated how we had to write for that. It was very technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's just what's required. So even taking yourself out of that and saying, hey, you know, I know this is not normally how I would write something, but I'm going to do my best to fit, you know, whatever writing style I need to, mm-hmm. um, to be able to, um, you know, to, to get things accepted, to get things going through the pipeline, um, and to ultimately make our names great. Um, mm-hmm. I always say like, and we said this, I like seeing my name in print. Like, I don't know why it's just like graduating and seeing my name in print is like a drug to me. Like, I <laughs> I don't know why, but I mean, it just, it makes me feel a sense of accomplishment, um, that, I have etched, you know, in this world, like something that is, um, staying still and something that is timeless. Like you mm-hmm. can go and find my name on somebody on a piece of paper. Um, and that's not going anywhere. So, um, that, that kind of pushes to keep going. Yeah. Even when, you know, you're getting the denials as we all have and all will continue to get, to keep pushing. For yeah, sure. definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I think for the most part, we answered most of our uh, additional questions, but any other tips that we forgot or stories that come to mind? I can't think of any other stories. No, I mean, I think that just important to like keep swimming, like Dory says, like you just gotta keep keep swimming. And I know we were talking about even like making time. Mm-hmm. To do things and prioritizing it, um, it's, it's so important. And um, sometimes with you know having a full time job, having like the kids got five jobs. I got like three, <laughs> five or six. So I mean, she she's a planner person. Like she has to, she has to. She gonna get like a client or something. Like, yeah, for I'm sure. Doing. Yeah, so, I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> so I just, I mean, you have it's 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 
hard to make time, but like yeah. you know, we're talking about being intentional about making time because we have um, valuable to offer. Yeah. Um, so even in this sense, in that um, making time to make our name great mm-hmm. um, is also very important. And um, we, we personally are going to do better than. <laughs> yes, we're committed <laughs> to it. We are committed. Um, 2020. In, in 2020. <laughs> Not so, 2019. Um, yeah, 2019. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's a lot of moving parts, and, um, you know, prioritizing is, is, is very important. But, you know, when we talked about, you know, being the light and, and sharing with the world, you know, what you have so that others, you know, can benefit from that. I, um, I quotes for, um, trying to this is from Ruby Goldberg and you know she was saying that my reason for being here is to um, be a torch mm-hmm. um, or to create little torches for others in darkness so even through writing like um, writing wrongs and things of that nature and fighting for the right um, it's really important um, something that you definitely have to fight for because you know, nobody has time so yeah that's right that's my little that's right. I was so excited about that quote. Whoopi Go. I don't even think you. We've been friends a long time, but I don't think you know that Whoopi Go is my favorite actress. So I was very excited. I did not. Um, I, did I was not know very that. excited about it. So, um, but I agree. I think you know, make the time, write about what you know, and be open to feedback. If you can do that, you will be successful in everything that you write, everything that you submit, because it all ends up being a lesson, and it all makes you better. True. So that brings us to the end of our first half of our show. Uh, we're going to pause right here, take a quick break, and we'll be right back with our signature segments. Ebony's welcome back to the second half of the show and our signature segments. First up, as always, we have Culture Corner, um, <laughs> Dr. Bell's favorite phrase. Um, and I tried to say it like I'm from Baton Rouge and I'm from New Orleans today. Um, Culture Corner. But um, today we are talking about uh, the recent law that was passed in California known as SB 206. Um, you guys know I'm immersed in the sports world, uh, with or without choice, but being able to have to be in that world, um, it is interesting how it influences my day to day, even as a counselor, um, and as a, as like an adjunct faculty too, because this type of stuff comes up in the classroom. And so, um, so I think, I'll explain a little bit kind of what it is for people who are like, wait, what is this? Cause maybe you don't live in California. Um, and then we'll chat about it. So, um, California's SB 206 basically is a recently passed law known as the student athlete bill of rights. And it basically is going to now require, um, in the state of California, uh, intercollegiate athletic programs at four year private university or campuses of the university of California or California state systems. Um, 
that receive an average of 10 million or more in annual revenue to comply with these prescribed requirements relating to student athletes' rights. So most people understand how huge one California is. And so when I think people first sort of heard about this, they thought it was going to only be like with private schools, not realizing that it's really all the campuses of like UCAL. So there's like a bunch of those and Cal State. There's a bunch of those um, that fall under that system. Um, and so just being able to under those systems. So being able to understand that like this is actually would affect a lot of universities. Um, and so the bill basically would prohibit these schools, um, except for community college um, and athletic associations or conferences within those groups from providing um, prospective intercollegiate student athletes with compensation in relation to their name, their image, their likeness, um, or preventing that student from participating in intercollegiate athletics from earning compensation as a result of the use of the student's name, image, or likeness. Um, and keeps them where they can also obtain representation. So like an agent, um, if they would like while still in college. So right now, nationwide, none of these things are allowed. Like students are not able to make money off of the use of their image or likeness um, that the schools use. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, as well as uh, they can't necessarily be represented by someone while they're still basically representing their university. Um, so that's kind of where we are. And so what the bill also does is kind of prohibits these athletic conferences or organizations with authority over um, intercollegiate athletics in general. And so I thought it was interesting. They kept like using that phrase when in actuality they mean like the NCAA and they won't say that. Uh, <laughs> but they kept saying like association conference or group. And I'm like, what other group would that be? But okay. Um, but there are other, there are other conferences besides the NCAA, but this was aimed at them for sure. Um, saying that, you know, they too could not use those students image and likeness. So, um, for instance, if you go to some of the, um, conferences that like both nationally and regionally that the NCAA does oftentimes within the presentations and the marketing, you will see students used, um, in that from a variety of schools, no particular like, connection to those schools, but just those students' images being used. And so the bill will require um, students to be professionally represented um, in order to be like then licensed to use their image. And so the bill would kind of specify that these agents have to comply with like federal laws as far as their relationship with student athletes. Um, but it also would prohibit like a school from revoking a student's scholarship as a result of this additional compensation that they would be getting. So if they earn their scholarship there in order to come, they would get to keep that. And then on top of that, whatever compensation they would get would also be theirs. And so um, it's a very, uh, it's controversial. Actually, today, another uh, article came out from um, Gonzaga's, I think, athletic director um just saying that he feels like the california governor should stay in his lane was his exact words um and so it's it's again this is only in that state but i think people are understanding that technically state by state schools could do this or universities could do this um and so i think it has a lot of people up in arms um it's a very interesting sort of perspective and take to have on it um, right now, even though this is being passed in 2019, this wouldn't even go into effect in California until January 1st of 2023. So there's some time there. 
um, for this to obviously be a, a, a bill or a law that could be changed, could be revoked um, in other ways. And, and so, but it is causing a lot of uproar. And so the reason I included it in Culture Corner, one, because it obviously has to, it's going to affect higher education in general. It will uh, also, I think, affect recruiting um, of certain students for, to certain schools, knowing that, you know, if you're taking on maybe a kid that's in high school already high profile, uh, the amount of compensation that you will end up having to give to that student could technically be outlandish for some universities just to obtain this person. It's almost like a pre-draft in some ways. Um, now I have my thoughts about, you know, the schools using, um, student athlete images for marketing and promotion and the students sort of being used in that way. But at the same time, if you are getting a scholarship in most cases, you are not only receiving that free education, but you are getting some sort of monthly stipend to participate in sport. And so I think that there is a middle ground with this um, instead of it being an extreme of both. I think, you know, there are people who are just like, well, no, they're in school. They're, you know, that's their priority. And I, I, I agree with that part of it, but I also understand what it must or maybe I don't understand, I should say, what it has to feel like to be driving around in the city you go to school and then you see your face on a billboard and like, you know, it's drawing in, it's in their ticket sales being used as a part of that. And like, um, so I'm, I, I totally, I totally get it, but I, I do think that the compensation maybe shouldn't necessarily just be like an additional check that that student gets. It may need to be something else that is much more long-term for that student to have when maybe they're done with sport and they're not going pro and they then are leaving now with a degree that they didn't even put a lot of thought into. And, you know, I think there are other ways um, to figure that out, but someone will need to hire me in order to get those ideas. But I think just being able to really think about that is important. So Dr. Well, Bell, do you got any thoughts that, on that? Yeah, I think that honestly from like kind of like looking into the research and a little bit, and I, I think I told you about the documentary I watched on HBO and how a lot of these students are essentially like living below the poverty line poverty line and mm-hmm. some things and every school is an SEC school. Every school doesn't have a million dollar facility, a million dollar um, you know, cafeteria and chefs flown in and Michelin star chefs and all of that nature. So I feel that um I think in my personal opinion, I think students should get a cut. I don't know about I think it should be capped. Yeah. Um I do think that they deserve to be compensated. I don't know what that looks like. I I would think that it needs to be a cap or a percentage or something like that. Um, but I also, you know, like what you said about, you know, making it um, long time. So students who, let's say a student gets hit the wrong way um, and they have a, you know, career ending injury. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've, you know, generated, you know, monies to the university and they, um, you know, contributed to the, the, the success of whatever program they're a part of. Um, I think that there should be some sort of plan in place for that mm-hmm. um, as well. I think that 
Um, it is sort of unfair when universities are making millions and millions and millions of dollars on merchandise and things of that nature. Um, and students are struggling. I've seen it for myself personally um, as a student at LSU um, who was friends with some of the football players and things mm-hmm. of that nature. So I think it's a way to um, to create sort of a middle ground mm-hmm. um, to satisfy both parties, mm-hmm. um, something that's fair and, and equitable um, for all students. But I, I definitely think that the I'm glad that the conversation is being had. I'm glad that California um, is progressive in that sense. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, they started to, you know, garner conversation about it. Um, I don't know exactly how that looks. Um, but I think, I think that is something that definitely needs to be talked about. Um, and I could definitely see why programs would be upset. Um, I have my own thoughts about like capitalism and things of that nature. Um, so, <laughs> and, 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 and higher education and sometimes the greed that goes along, mm-hmm. um, you know, in sports. Um, and in, in sports programs and things of that nature. So I definitely think there's a middle ground that could be reached, but um, I'm glad the conversation is happening. Agreed. Definitely agreed. So, well, my hope is that, you know, the con- the conversation will continue to happen um, and that there will be some level of, you know, intentionality about figuring out what's fair. That's all I right. um, I hope for this discussion i don't have a dog in the fight whatsoever um but um i do think that it is important um to know and to understand that you know there there is a labor that goes into being a student athlete that is unique and different from um non-student athletes um and then when you talk about some of your bigger programs in power five conferences and things like that, um, those schools are making a lot of money off of, of you know, billboards and jerseys and all these other things. So, um, I definitely understand student athletes wanting to have a voice, um, even if it's just in reference to how their images are used. Um, I think that that is important. So just a thought. That's our culture corner. If you have thoughts on it, let us know what you think. Um, send us an email or reach out to us on social media. We'd love to hear your thoughts, specifically if maybe you are a student athlete or a former student athlete. Tell us what you think. We'd love to know. Um, and then last up, our absolute favorite, 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 favorite part of the show um, is our Ebony's in the Spotlight. And this month, we are highlighting a fellow therapist. Yay. Um, L. Allen Crosby. Um, and she actually did what we tell you guys to do every single month is reach out to us and tell us what you're doing. So I appreciate her so much for, um, letting us into her world and keeping us in the loop about what she has going on. And I'm super excited to tell you guys about her. Um, so like I mentioned, L is a licensed therapist. She is starting where, and I guess now has started her third year. Um, of doctoral studies in counselor ed and supervision. Shout out to the counselor educators out there, um, at Walden University. Um, and she is studying the effects of loneliness on black women and its impact on the black community. Um, uh, I think that's going to be super interesting. Yeah. I can't wait to see what you do with that. Um, I think that's going to be really good. Um, she's a native of Washington, DC. 
She has over 20 years of experience in working with underserved and underrepresented communities. Um, and she owns a private practice and you guys have to go check out her website. It's pretty cool. Um, called Urban Mindfulness Project. And so the goal um, of her practice in particular is to provide her clients with the benefits of a sustained mindfulness practice while living in an urban environment. And um, as a mental health professional, she focuses on social justice, advocacy, counselor education, and mentorship. Um, and she is super, super duper passionate about the impact um, that access to mental health has on urban communities of color, which is a passion of mine. So I was very excited about that. Um, and her experience in particular, like I mentioned, involves social justice work. Um, she's also done a lot of work for those living with HIV AIDS and those communities that are plagued by homelessness. And so she has done a, a huge amount of work already for um, not only the mental health community, but um, for communities of color. And I think it's really, really awesome because she has all of these unique specializations um, as well. And so just being able to understand that for her. Um, I think she sets a great example of what it means to be able to also have, you know, a full out career while going back to pursue doctoral studies. Um, she's a big proponent in the info she gave me about self care. Um, she likes to support her own mental health and wellness. She likes to travel. She says she loves to bask in the sun. I thought that was great. Um, and we share the interests of interior design. I love that. Um, that is my like escape. Um, shout out to Home Goods. Um, and, and really just spending time with family and friends. So she's a great example, um, of what it means to sort of have the balance. So, you know, being a working woman, um, being in school and really making an impact in the community that she cares about. Um, and so I hope that if you are interested, you will definitely go check her out. Um, on Instagram, she is at the Urban Mindfulness Project. Um, and I think she told me that's her only social media, which is pretty good because most of us get caught up in too many. So that's pretty great. Um, and same thing, you can check out her, her website, the Urban Mindfulness Project.com. Um, to be able to learn more about her. So shout out, huge, huge, huge shout out to L. Allen Crosby, who is this month's Ebony in the Spotlight. Congratulations. Yay. We're excited to see all of the things that, um, you know, you are going to be contributing to the field of counseling and like that dissertation is I have to read. Yeah. Read. I can't wait. Um, so I'm all, we're always excited to see women of color advancing the field and shaking the table. Shaking the um, table. Shaking the table, <laughs> Kim Michelle said. So um, definitely congratulations to you. Yes, absolutely. We're so proud of you. So keep it up. Keep letting us know what you're up to. And ladies, if you're listening, this could be you. So please tell us what you have going on. Like we always say, there is no accomplishment that is too small. Um, and you don't even have to feel like, again, it's in a specific milestone or accomplishment, but just let us know what you have going on. And we would love to shout you out and share that with our community so that you know you have a bunch of folks um, who have your back and who are rooting you on. So that brings us to the end of episode 23, Dr. Bell. That's it. It's a, it's a wrap. Crazy. So we want to thank you guys as always for tuning in, um, and being so dedicated to Ebony's and the Ivory. Um, we still have a little bit more ahead. We're approaching the end of the year, but we still got a few more things up our sleeve. 
Um, so just, you know, let us know for sure if there are things you want to share with us for the spotlight or if there are questions about any of our topics, please know that you can do that through all of our social media and our websites that Dr. Bell mentioned at the start of the show. Um, as always, be on the lookout for whatever we're posting on EITI Tuesdays, every single Tuesday. Um, we are out here doing what we got to do. Uh, so make sure that you like, follow, and subscribe um, and submit your accomplishments if you have them. And we will see you right back here next time. See y'all next time. Bye. Bye.